Hello there. Welcome to this week's edition of Everything You Never Need to Know. This week's topic is quarantine. Humanity is doomed and it should be. Any sentient species that is more bothered about toilet paper than its survival should be vented to the vacuum of space. Any species that even has one specimen that would stock 15,000 bottles of sanitizers only to sell them later at a profit deserves a meteor or two. Any species that even has one specimen that will knowingly break quarantine of a pandemic to attend football matches or weddings deserves the rising oceans and the melting glaciers. The resilience of the human spirit is a rare thing, like a feeble candle in the wind. It has been tested many times across history and now is one such time. Will it survive or will it be extinguished due to the panic of downtrodden sheep that is more concerned about its social media profiles and its stocked refrigerators over the common good. Anne Frank was born as a rich upper-middle-class kid whose exposure never extended beyond her similarly rich and cultured friends of her childhood. She first lived in Frankfurt and then moved to Amsterdam. Her rich European life continued unabated till 6 July 1942. Being a Jew, her family was asked to report to a Nazi work camp. Unlike the millions of other Jews who had no other choice, her father had the means to prepare for this by building a secret annex in his office building where he and his family lived with one other family. They lived there for two years, not stepping out of their 450 square feet apartment. Eight people, two years. They were aided by sympathizers and friends of Anne's father for the duration with food, supplies, magazines, gifts and so on. When they did finally exit the apartment, it was under handcuffs, as their location was given as an anonymous tip to the Nazi police. The entire family spent the rest of their lives at the Nazi work camp, and Anne died of disease and exhaustion at the work camp when she was 15. The World War was of course a time of extraordinary cruelty, and it is true that millions more had much more of a cruel ending than Anne's. Why is Anne's plight any more special? It is because it highlights the common thread of human spirit that emerges and pops out randomly. Like how cruelty and misery occur randomly with no explanation, so do excellence and human spirit. For nothing else explains the diary of Anne Frank, the diary in which she chose to write about her life. For in the words she wrote, she was not a rich teenager complaining about having to be inconvenienced. While she was hunted and forced to hide for no fault of her own, when the world literally targeted to persecute her, After one more day of hiding noiselessly in a dark annex, this 14-year-old girl wrote in her diary, I don't think of all the misery, but the beauty that still remains. While she heard day after day of deaths, hangings and more bad news coming from the outside world and was coming to terms with her reality, she wrote, In spite of everything, I still believe that people are really good at heart. She was not a kid who had millions of followers aiming to pose as a strong hashtag survivor. She did not have a PR agent telling her to play a part. She did not have an agenda. This was a girl writing into paper under candlelight the plight of her life. At the first sign of irritation and falling of our plans, most of our reactions are to get bitter and vile. How can the world not bend to my will? Or how can the world do this to me? After seeing her world fall apart, and after coming to terms with the very real possibility of her life ending, she wrote, Look at how a single candle can both defy and define the darkness. Humanity did not survive because we were more intelligent or smarter than the other species. As George Carlin once famously said, who decided that we are better than chickens? 
it is also not because of some cosmic right we had over our fellow beings but because we were and are collective beings while we are free to do what we want and need our social order inevitably focuses us to work for the collective and common good survival of the species there are many times we have come perilously close to disappearing off the map one such time was in the middle ages during the years 1350 to 1600 an estimated 150 million people died of plague nicknamed black death estimates reveal that the initial wave in the 1350s wiped out 50 to 65% of the human population in europe it was literally a black wave of death with entire cities dying in a matter of days and weeks in a world devoid of technology science and education this pestilence was seen as many things a divine punishment sent by the gods or as a disease carried by immigrants and handicapped people entire militias were formed to identify potential plague carriers and kill their families houses were burned with the diseased people along with their families as it was believed that touching them spread the disease individual burials were given up due to the sheer number of bodies piling up deep vertical pits were built during the day piled with bodies overnight covered in the morning and new holes dug up during the day again it was the darkest of dark times by the way the word quarantine originates from the italian phrase quaranta giorni which literally translates into space of 40 days that was the amount of time ships from plague stricken countries had to wait outside the venetian harbor the so called quarantine we are now inconvenienced by is troubling many of us this after near perfect information through technology and science imagine yourself in a small village in the middle of england in the 1600s imagine yourself to be the village leader of 300 to 400 people in this quaint and small village After months and years of hearing rumors about the black monster, the invisible plague that kills cities and other horror stories, imagine yourself waking up to hear the news of one of your village members dying of the plague. What would you do? That is what happened to the small town of Eam in England in 1666. After an almost overnight eruption in disease, the villagers were panicking and were preparing to flee. William Mompesson, the head of the church, called for a meeting of all the villagers. After assessing the damage and noting that almost every house or street had one or more cases of the disease and after noting that they had almost no medicine to treat this he came to a decision he told the bewildered onlookers that the only solution is to lock themselves in and die inside their villages for their village was the link between the south of england london where the plague was rampant and the north of england he informed that this quarantine is what god would have wanted and this is the only way that the nearby villages and families will not be affected the villagers while hesitant realized that the safety of their friends and families depended on them moreover they did not want to be treated like lepers and beaten by the same friends and families in the nearby villages who they traded or were in contact with in june 1666 the village went into quarantine with a stone wall erected around the town Food from nearby villages was kept at a spot that was half a mile away from the village which was then picked up at asynchronous times. From the next month the village was averaging 5 deaths a day. One Elizabeth Hancock buried her 8 children and her husband in a span of 8 days. She never left the quarantine. William Mompesson's wife died in July. He never left the quarantine. August came and the spread of the disease slowed and then it stopped. By the end of August the quarantine was lifted. Of the 400 people who were living before the disease, 110 were alive. 110 people who never left. 
Unfortunately, for every instance of Anne Frank and E.M. Village, there are a million more instances of selfishness and pig-headedness. Calling ourselves civilized, having fancy houses, modern gadgets, and sophisticated social media profiles will mean absolutely nothing if we resort to our primal and basal instincts. Relatives who were convinced about the healing nature of a few yogis a month back are now tracking the street-by-street spread of the disease only to hush in conspiratorial tones and incite harm against the possibly infected people. Friends who were making jokes on Chinese people eating bats are now spreading rumours that range from stupid to dangerous ones. Scared, entitled, bored and miserable. A unique combination of modes that prevail across the collective minds of our society today. Fear of our lives is a good thing. It will save us. That collective fear is what enables this bigger human population to be under lockdown. But to sit and use this as a vent for discrimination or racism or ignorance is beyond deplorable. Let us get this straight. Most of us are going to get this disease or the next one in our lifetime. Some of us will die, maybe many. But life goes on. What doesn't and cannot go on is a casual discrimination being ramped up against people who get the disease, the healthcare workers, sanitation workers, other staff and migrant labour. Every major disease or natural disaster has always been followed by economic or artistic renaissances. Da Vinci to Galileo, to Newton to Columbus that we know of now, were formed and shaped by the diseases and disasters they faced in their childhood and lives. For the first time, we are at a risk of coming out dumber, angrier and worser out of this pandemic. Can we still call ourselves civilized if we are as susceptible to rumours and misinformation as we were in the Middle Ages? The biggest impact this virus will have on us is not only the deaths and the economic impact, but also highlighting to us how close to barbarism we are. To all the middle-class adults who are out there spreading WhatsApp rumours and engaging in panic-driven mania, please see the kids in your family who are locked down with you. You're going to set the moral bar that they will refer to for the rest of their lives. You can either teach them to be virtuous, generous, kind and resilient like Anne Frank or William Mompesson, or you can see them grow up to discriminate against fellow human beings. In the coming days, it will feel bleak and that there is very little hope. Don't question or critique anyone else on what they can or should be doing. The resilience of the human spirit is a rare thing, like a feeble candle in the wind, awaiting to be reignited from time to time, from generation to generation. It will be kindled by the people who will ask the question, what can I do in the face of tragedy and adversity, instead of why me or what about me? That brings us to the end of this week's edition of Everything You Never Need to Know. Until next week.